We're glad that you guys are here this morning. We're glad. What I want to do this morning is I want to start out by actually reading the section of Scripture that we're going to spend a little time in this morning. So we're going to start by, I'm going to spend a little time reading. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. We'll have it up on the screens. It'll be Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 14 through 16. That's where we're going to start this morning, and then we'll jump into some prayer, and then we'll get going from there. So if you have a Bible and you want to join me, it's Philippians 2, 14 through 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and a twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for that it is a lamp unto our feet, that it points the path in which we are to go. Father, we thank you for the truth that you call your people, right, to shine as stars in the night sky, to show a sense of contrast, not in self-righteousness, but in sincere righteousness, a righteousness that comes by grace through faith. I thank you that that is your heart for your people this morning. I'm asking that you would do what only you can do, and that's take hearts that direction. Would you help people who don't know you to come to know you? Would you change their heart the way you've changed all of ours who know you? And then, Father, the people here who call themselves followers, who want to grow in a faithfulness, who want to fight to hold fast to the word of life, would you help them? May they leave here more in love with you than how they came. If you guys would, please take the next 10 seconds and just to yourself and pray that God would use this different rolling blackout Sunday morning to come and do that in your heart, to grow you closer to him. Man, if y'all would, please take another 10 seconds and pray for me. Been a bit of a glorious morning, but a hectic morning. And then I'd focus, and then God would use me to just share his word. Lord, we love you. It is such a privilege, such a joy to get to do this. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Y'all ever have a friend that goes on like a wonderful vacation trip? And while you're still back at work, kind of grinding out, doing things, your friend, while they're on vacation, sends you pictures of their vacation. Does that ever happen to anybody else? Right? Or maybe you're sitting there and you scroll on Instagram and you see that like everyone else in the world seems to be away on vacation during summer. And there you are changing diapers. There you are filling out the same report. There you are driving to clients across the state of Texas. Right, there was this moment where I was sitting here, and I love my job, but I was sitting here, and a buddy of mine, he and his family, they went to Colorado. He and his wife, they'd stayed up late. They took the kids because they wanted to look at the stars. They went to a place where there's not a lot of light pollution to where they could get away. And his wife, she's my friend Jody, she took this picture, right? This picture. Can y'all see that well enough with some of the lights? Like, it's essentially where you come. And I moved from Dallas to New Braunfels, and I can remember coming here and being like, there's so many stars, right? But then he goes out, middle of nowhere, Colorado. Like, you can see the Milky Way cutting across the sky. 
you can see what's likely a planet there off in the distance, right in the middle. These beautiful lights showing up. Why? There's this contrasting background to it. There's something about the heart of every person. We just kind of lean in when we see something like that. Anybody here like stargazing? Anybody generally? Okay, honestly, bless y'all, I'm not that person. Right? The whole let's climb a mountain and read a poem about Jesus and connect with God through nature. Just not me, but bless y'all for having that. Right? I can remember the first time I really did that was with a group of Christians. It was just after I graduated college. I'd moved from Atlanta to Dallas. I trusted Christ. I became a Christian, changed my life. I got around a whole new group of people, these Christians, and we took a trip to Austin. I can remember one of the strangest trips of my life because up to that point, there'd never really been, besides one weekend, a time, and I went dancing once, a time where I went and I hung out with people, for me, sober. Like every time I'd been drunk. It was that social lubricant. I had this social anxiety. Like I was tremendously nervous about the whole thing. But we take this trip to Austin and I can remember the night of, everyone went to 6th Street, right? I don't know what 6th Street is either. Don't worry about it, right? Went to 6th Street and I can remember walking up and down the street and a friend of mine at the time says, hey, you wanna go in here? Just have a drink. Where I was in my faith, I didn't want anything to do with drinking. I was so terrified of myself. Didn't know how to handle it. He didn't even miss a beat. He didn't care. He didn't look at me like I was weird. We just went to another dance hall and I spent time hanging out, dancing, and having one of the most fun nights I'd ever had in my life right there on 6th Street in Austin. Glorifying to God, sober for the first time doing something like that. In years, I can remember we were staying at a, a friend's house in Georgetown, just outside of Austin, right? So everyone's fine, staying up late. We go out there. And all of a sudden it becomes this, hey, let's stay up and look at the stars. I remember thinking to myself, this is so weird, right? It's my first time kind of running with a group of Christians. Like, this is weird. Like, I knew we did like board games and bowling. I didn't know stargazing was like a thing, right? Like, I knew we were kind of like team board game, but I didn't know that was part of it. And so I can remember going and laying out there, looking up at the stars. And here's what came to mind. I'm really tired. I wish I was asleep. That's what went through my head. But all these people had this amazing time as they looked at it. They're talking about God and the connecting the reality of light and what it means with this backdrop. And here's the thing, I went to bed and honestly, I hadn't really thought about that night until I came to this passage this week. Right, because I came to this passage, it's why I read it at the start. The passage, it's calling you and I to stand out. It's calling us, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, to shine bright as a light in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, to show a sense of contrast. And I thought back to it because literally it's speaking to the night sky as being a visual picture for what a Christian life is meant to be. It's Jesus using creation that he made to show. He said, this is what I want for you. Be like the stars. Don't be like the backdrop of darkness. But here's what made me think of it. Like my, my life, and maybe my life was different than yours, but your life has this too. I had so many times where my life, I was not the contrasting star. Dude, I was the backdrop of the darkness. And not, not even that I had just gone and done all these broken, sinful things, which I had. But my life looked like the life of everyone else who did not love and by faith follow Jesus Christ. Just this black backdrop. 
I thought of it because that was one of the first nights in my life where by the grace of God, nothing good in me, but by the grace of God, the people I'd gotten around, I got a night that was marked by light. I got a night that was marked by being bright. I had a moment, guys, where the next morning I didn't have to wake up and try and figure out what I did. I had a moment where there was no guilt, regret, or shame, or looking back saying, I wish I could. You ever have moments, even as having been a follower of Jesus Christ, where, hey, maybe you didn't wake up not remembering, or maybe you did, right? Maybe you didn't have this moment of immense grief and guilt where you sit there and there's a sense of shame, but you know you're not supposed to live in shame, but it feels like darkness has come around you. But have you ever had the moment where you wish you had been more full of light? Where you felt like, man, God, he wanted me to, 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 to pop with a black backdrop, not in self-righteousness, looking down on other people on how could you, but with like a real sense of what I would just say, sincere righteousness. He loves me. He saved me. He changed me. The reason you feel that, the reason I felt that is because there's this divine draw in you. And this is true if you're a believer in Jesus or you don't like Jesus. There's a divine draw in you to stand out. A lot of people would call it like a modern psychologist would be a search for significance. This, this pursuit of uniqueness, of being special, you are meant to pop. You're meant to stand out. And why I love where we're gonna be today is the Apostle Paul, through his letter to this church in Philippi, he's gonna show us exactly how to do that. He's gonna talk to us about why that matters so much. And he's gonna talk to you about how if you have that desire within you, this desire of a sense of significance and being different and standing out, he's gonna remind you, church. He's gonna remind me. You don't do that in self-righteousness. You do it because you have real righteousness. And what's amazing is here's what's true. So many people, right, in culture, and this is especially true of Christians, but non-Christians and Christians, we got to fight this pull. We do so many things these days to try to stand out. We do so many things. You, you could do it from how you, uh, uh, in vanity, take care of your body you could do it in your job, your career, your status. You could do it in the success of your kids. You could do it in how many followers, how many likes you have. You could do it in students. Like if you get to sit at this table with popular kids, if you go to that, get to go to that person. We all have this sense to try to find a sense of significance, but we do it down these broken paths. There was a word that people kind of coined. I don't know. I want to say it was about a decade ago. That's where I can remember first hearing about it coined for people who no longer wanted to go to the mainstream. They no longer wanted to do what kind of everyone else was doing. So they were going to listen to different things, wear different things, have generally a more tendency towards creative jobs, right? And then they're going to smoke menthols. Anybody know what a hipster is, right? Hipsters, well, hey, here's the thing. If you don't, Google it later. It's going to be worthless to your time. But here's what it is. It was this group of people that said, hey, we are not going to act like the mainstream. Here's what happened. Hipsters are now the mainstream. Y'all track with that? Like there's a strange reason why I'm wearing ankle-high boots, jeans, but I mean, I don't have flannel. It's just way too hot, right? But that's this go-to theme. 
where so many people in life and what you wear and how you dress and how you talk and where you live, we want to stand out. Here's the thing though, like look at the world, look at culture. I can remember thinking, if you want to really stand out, there's like one last frontier. If you want to really actually be different, show yourself distinct, differentiate yourself from everyone else, there's a sincere way you can actually do it. Holiness. Everyone's dressed in a certain way. Everyone's chasing validation on social media with their jobs, their retirement account. Everyone's trying to find the sense of significance. And if I could just get the next spouse, if I could just make this much money, everyone's trying to say, hey, I'm just going to party for a while, enjoy this, pursue my high. It's my truth. Everyone's doing that. That's why Christians, what's amazing is we have such a privilege. And again, I'm going to say it just one more time and you got to trust me the rest. Never in self-righteousness. You are not better than any person who doesn't believe. God has given you a grace and he wants to give it to them and he wants to use you. So this is never for self-righteousness. It's because the Savior made you righteous. That's it. But guys, we have such an opportunity to stand out. It should be so easy. But doing it can be hard. That's why we're going to look at what Paul says. So we're going to be again in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 14 through 16. The first thing we're going to see on how do we stand out, the first thing Paul's going to tell us is don't complain. Yeah. Second thing he's going to tell us, you and me, he's going to say shine bright. Third, he's going to say hold fast. What's amazing is where the context of Philippians chapter 2, the way I think about it, it's like this avalanche coming down a mountain. Like an avalanche at the top of a mountain, it starts small, but over time, it picks up with other snow and it builds steam and momentum is what was before is cascading and building upon it. Paul started this whole chapter with this amazing call to humility. Where we were last week is he said, hey, humility, it works in you. You gotta work this out. You don't earn your salvation, but because you have it, go to work. It's this amazing call from humility to obedience. Now, here's where he's going to start. What obedience is going to do, if we, if we really do this, church, like if we're a place in both word and deed that just says, by faith, we are not sophisticated, we are not fancy, but we are going to do what this says. We'll stand out, not in self-righteousness, but because of real righteousness. So if you have a Bible, turn with me. I'm going to read it again, 14 through 16, and then we're going to come back and we're going to work our way through 14 and then the first part of 15, 14 through 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Having seen the context once more, let's jump back up to the top. Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. That's where we're gonna focus. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish. 
the first thing Paul's going to say is he wants us to have a sense of contrast. Is he wants your life to be, he wants it to be noticeable. He wants it to be attractive. He wants it to stand out. The first way he's going to tell you and I that we go about doing that is we don't complain. Don't complain. Paul starts this right at the very beginning where he's going to say, here's what you're not supposed to do. And then he's going to tell us the why. He's going to say, don't do this because. He's going to start by, do not grumble or dispute. And, and where does he say? In all things, in everything. What's amazing about Paul, which is why we, we decided months ago to do Philippians, is he has these statements that seem superhuman. Earlier in this chapter, if you remember, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he told you and he told me, do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty conceit. You know what he means by nothing? Nothing. And right here, you know what he's saying? Don't complain about? You know what he's talking about? Everything. But what if my child doesn't get into the school that I think they really need to go into and it's because the administrator there is a terrible overseer. Don't complain. What if that promotion at the job that I have, I was missed over because my boss, man, you don't get it. My boss, my boss is terrible. The worst boss. I could do my job so much better than my boss. Don't complain. Hey, no, if this college would only let me through, they looked at this. I'm smarter than this kid, but this kid got into that school. Don't complain. It's amazing too, Paul, he's writing this to like, like church folk because he's, he's saying it individually, like to individuals, but he's also saying it corporately to like a church body. Y'all ever been in churches where like the normative function of people was complaining? Right, grumbling here, the word, it literally, it's onomatopoeic. To where grumble, it means to, to like have disappointment, discontentment, dissatisfaction in this low, guttural tone. Ugh. Anybody know any deep sires here? Okay, y'all are liars. Straight up, right? It's grumbling. D disputing is where it shifts out of emotion in its intellect. It's where you go from the sense of dissatisfaction, where you feel slighted. When you feel slighted, so you know, it's because you feel your expectations weren't met. I'm going to say it another way. It's when you feel you were entitled to something that didn't happen. How do you sever the root of complaining? You sever the root of entitlement in every scenario. The only way you're going to do that is by the power of God. It feels like this impossible standard, and that's absolutely what Paul is calling us to pursue. Do nothing in grumbling or complaining. It's this language he's picking up, like Paul, if you didn't know this about him, he's a big-time rabbi. Grew up a Jew, like king of the Jews, basically, very rabbinical, knew the Old Testament. He's referencing a section out of the Old Testament. It's Deuteronomy 32. The Old Testament's full of stories about the nation of Israel. And oftentimes what we can see through Israel, we see our sins and faults in a narrative form. God had come, he'd taken this nation out of Egypt. 
He'd taken them out. He'd freed them. He brought them through the Red Sea. Amazing miracles. He's bringing bread and water. He's taking them to the mountain. He's giving them the law. They got to see God, pillar of fire by night, cloud by day. They built this tabernacle to see what it was. And then he takes them to the promised land where he wants to give them blessing and freedom, a land flowing with milk and honey. He's done everything for them. He beat all the bad guys in Egypt and he takes them to this land and they get there. They get on the edge and they look in and they start to see there's giants in the land. And this one's amazingly faithful. Actually, they grumbled most of the time. But these people who'd followed, they just say, there's no way my God can do that. And they complained. And God said, take a walk. And they wandered the wilderness for 40 years until the next generation could go into the promised land. Paul right here is reminding us, don't grumble, don't dispute. Because when we do that, it's when we shift and we have a heart towards God of you got this wrong. God wouldn't want this for me. The apostle Paul, he's writing this letter from a prison cell. You know, he's writing this to you and to me saying, hey, don't complain. He's writing it from a prison cell while he's waiting to find out whether or not they're gonna kill him for his faith. When he says don't complain in anything, he means in anything. And he tells us why, which is why I love the Bible. Like the Bible always speaks, not just the what, but the why. It's verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish. Blameless and innocent. That doesn't mean you're perfect. It's speaking this idea that Christian, it's a language we'd use of being above reproach. It's where other people, especially we're seeing through the context, non-believers, they can't look at you and be like, man, they are so critical. Man, they are so pessimistic. Man, they are so down on everything. All they do is complain or we give this outside world this criticism. Why? Paul calls us children of God. Like imagine that. It's such, a, it's such an easy thing to just look past. You're like, oh yeah, children of God, got it. Now here's what that means. That means God in heaven allowed his son to die for you and for me. That we don't have to work for it we don't have to come in like check boxes to make sure we do enough. We just have to believe. And then upon faith, we are guaranteed an eternal inheritance, an eternal glory, a relationship with God, the Father. And as we walk in accordance with it, it brings us blessings in this life. Like children of God, it's Paul reminding us, please stand out. One of the things you often hear is kids, they'll come up and they'll be like, oh, well, Susie's mom and dad let her do that. Timmy's mom, I don't know why I picked Susie and Timmy, right? Timmy's mom and dad let him do that, right? And parents, what, what's the typical response? Well, hey, they're not my child. That's not our family. Our family, you as my child, we are gonna go a different way. What does God want the world to see? We are his children. We go a different way way. What I love about this is even looking up complaining this past week. Do you know on average in a conversation between two people, back and forth, someone complains on average once a minute? Do you know that? And that you could use this in a networking event. Do you know that people, they actually connect stronger over negative emotions at the beginning than positive? So one of the greatest, cheapest, quickest ways you can connect with someone is over a common complaint or dislike. 
But here's what happens. Every time you do that, complaining, and they've done it, you can look at EKGs, you can look at MRIs, it, it puts off neural hormones in your body to where your brain, it no longer functions the same way. It literally slows down problem-solving abilities. One of the greatest things that psychologists, they try to help people do is cut what you almost call a cycle of negativity where it just builds. Y'all get that because you have that in your own life. That cycle of negativity where you find it harder and harder to get out. You will literally find it harder and harder to get out. You're changing brain chemistry. They've come up with this new term. We've all heard of secondhand smoking, right? They've come up with this new term, secondhand complaining. Studies have shown how even when you're not the person complaining, but you're listening to the complaining, the same thing's taking place in your mind. Church, we are meant to be marked by a gospel-centered, Christ-redeemed, eternity-claiming positivity. This is not like think good, feel good, play good, act good. This is not self-help foolishness. This is a command from God on high to stand out. And a way we stand out is we don't complain. I had a buddy of mine. His name's Sammy. I'm actually going to tell two stories about Sammy today, right? It was when I lived in Dallas. He was probably 12 years older than me. This guy I really looked up to. First time I went to like a Christian group gathering, he was the leader. He was there with his wife just a faithful guy, a neat guy, and just a normal guy, right? I can remember, he didn't tell me this story. Somebody told me about him. He was about mid-level at a Fortune 500 company there in Dallas, about mid-level. He was a part of a team, and the company brought in this VP to be over him and the team. They brought in this VP from outside, and this VP came in this broken, in the way he described it, insecure, and honestly, potentially incompetent leader and came and just started telling people what to do, saying, this is what's wrong. Here's how you're not doing it. If we just switched it to this, to where the whole team started with, okay, how do we help? But by the end of it, the entire team was alienated. They'd been hurt by one of the fastest ways to leave a job is to be under a bad boss, right? The whole team left that company. Sammy was the only one who stayed. Did he get along with them? Nope. But here's what Sammy knew. Here's what's crazy, guys. While they're gossiping, while they're talking, while they're complaining, Sammy was just faithful. Like he understood the reality of God Almighty has brought this person here. Why? God Almighty, in his authority, put them in authority over me. So how do I honor them? The theology of work in our Bible, I wish we had more time. It speaks to so much as employees. You don't go and you work by way of eye service because you're supposed to and you say the right things when you're around them and you say other things behind their back. But you work with sincerity of heart to honor them. Sammy didn't complain. Sammy stuck it out. And Sammy found himself in a boardroom with this guy. At the very end, the team had left. This leader looked at Sammy and said, man, I don't get it. Why couldn't I make it work with them? You and I have an amazing relationship. Sammy looked at him and he said, you and I have a terrible relationship. You are demeaning and you cut people down. The reason I'm still here is I am for you. But it's because I believe I'm being faithful to my God. And then Sammy shared with him the gospel. How he was once foolish, like he'd done all these broken, terrible things. He'd hurt people, he'd alienated people. Yet God Almighty looked at Sammy in love and said, believe in me and you'll be forgiven. Change Sammy's life. And since then he had fought to by faith walk in a faithfulness. And Sammy said, that's why I'm here. 
What's amazing there? The boss looked at me and said, I've never heard anyone say that. According to Sammy, boss didn't trust Christ then. I have no idea what happened to the boss. But here's what I'm telling you. Sammy stood out. He didn't complain. Right? But all of us, like if we're there and, and we worked there or we were one of those people's friends, we'd be like, man, that boss is terrible. Oh man, how could you? Have you started filling out your resume? Where could you go? Now here's what I'm saying. Are there good times to leave jobs? Sure. Do I, people think, people, do I think Christians tend to leave their jobs way too early? Yes. But guys, in whatever scenario, we don't complain. We are children of the king. We're meant to stand out. Opportunities where other people do complain, not in self-righteousness, but because he made us righteous. That's our chance to stand out. Let's see another way that we do that. Let's see kind of Paul's thesis for this whole section here. So with your Bible, I'm going to pick it up in verse 15, and we'll read all of it. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish. That means without moral or character default. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect. But it means it's above reproach. There's a, an integrity to what we're saying. Without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. As Paul's calling you and me, like followers of Jesus Christ, to stand out, the second way he's going to say we do that is we shine bright. We shine bright. First thing Paul's going to do, though, is he's going to set um, a backdrop. We all know this to be true. You can't see light unless there's darkness. First thing Paul's going to do is he's going to set the backdrop where he says, we exist, we live in the midst of a twisted, or excuse me, a crooked and twisted generation. He's talking there about a world that does not know, love, trust, or follow God. A world that for much like my life said, Maybe it's true. It doesn't really matter. It's probably not. They tell themselves these things to feel better. That's the general current. And here's the way he describes it. He calls it crooked. Crooked here, it literally means not straight. It's like a line where you went to line it up perfectly at a 90 degree angle. But instead, it's zigzagged. The Greek word is scolios. It's literally where we get the word scoliosis from. Right? Curvature of the spine. This generation begins crooked because there's not walking in accordance with the way of God. It starts crooked, and then where does it end? Twisted. Twisted is the result of being crooked. Your Bible may say perverse. That doesn't mean that every person who doesn't believe in Jesus is a terrible person, but what it means is they go on a crooked path. And where does that lend itself to more and more over time? Twisted, perverse broken, bringing pain to themselves and pain to the lives of others. Hey, parents, with your kids, if you want to come, right, instill in them two things. How do you date really well at a young age before you're ready to be married? Which, by the way, I'd tell you to be very careful with that. And then two, disciple your children in, not, in, in being experts at learning from the pain of others. Let me give you two examples. The first, you could start with the reality of, hey, your friends that are often going to date, and I'm talking like middle school, high school, all this stuff. Well, here's what I would say. Before they're ready to get married, you date for the purposes of marriage biblically. You don't date to get better at it. You don't date to grow into social awareness. You don't date to practice. None of that. You date to glorify God and Lord willing, find a mate and a spouse. 
but you can come and say, hey, I think a lot of your friends, and man, y'all, this is so true, they're going to do this for the purposes of finding validation, finding a sense of purpose in life and how other people feel about them. But as you see them go to do that, see if that's lasting. See if that's promising. See if it brings life or it's just like a short-term thing. And then disciple your kids to watch relationships around them where they have friends who they once used to hang out with who all of a sudden go off and isolate with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, neglect the others. The boyfriend or girlfriend breaks their heart. And then when they want to come back, there's all this fraction, there's all this pain, there's all this brokenness. Why? Because they went down a wrong path, trying to find wrong life. What started simple, crooked, ends twisted. Same thing's true with sex. Same thing's true. Look at their friends as they come and they disciple themselves as into college, whatever age, and say, hey, see where that starts and then see where that ends. Here's the reality. You know this is true in your own life. I know it's true in my life. Paul's pleading, stand out from that. Be different than that. Like Peter would say, be strangers and aliens. Exiles is the word. It's in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. That's our backdrop. And then, and then what does he say after that? He says, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Like right here, the word light, it literally, in your Bible, it'll use it interchangeably with the word star. It means luminary. That backdrop, you're not meant to come and look down on other people. There's no greater sin than the sin of not knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You're not meant to look down on, but you are meant to be holy, to be set apart, to be different. Where you come and you shine. This is why I think it matters so much that Christians embrace the role of their life. The, the, the church word for this is your life is witness. Does that make sense? Like if you grew up in church, you get what I'm talking about. What I mean by that is your life gives a testimony to. It's a witness or evidence for. Like when they look at you, there's this evaluation of how is their life going. The reason your love and faith in Jesus Christ matters so much is because God wants it to use it to change your neighbor to change your street, to change the hallway that you walk down every week, to, to actually change the environment at your work where you're the one person that doesn't make the same jokes and come back after a long weekend with the same crass response to where they talk about their spouse and how they just were so excited to get away. Be different, shine bright. We are meant to stand out. I can remember my buddy Sammy again. I heard another story about him. This guy, again, it was one of those where I trusted Christ. I looked to him. First time I went to lead a group of Christians, it was a small group. I, I remember I called him and I said, I have no idea how to do this. I have no idea how to do this. Will you please help me? I'll never forget. We met at a place called Payway. And he just looked at me and he just said, just be faithful. You'll be fine. Just do what you think faithfulness is. You'll be fine. Stuck with me ever since. That was just the way he lived. One of the things that was true of Sammy, this same company, in the, it was 7-Eleven right there in downtown Dallas. That was the company he was at. So he was about mid-level, right? This was after Crazy Boss, about mid-level. And one of the things that was true is Jesus Christ had changed his life. So he told people that. 
he would go around and he was a winsome dude. Like he was faithful, he was smart. Both he and his wife were models and then they trusted Christ like this beautiful family. It was kind of weird, right? But just this winsome, normal, fun guy. He would hang out, he'd go to work and everything from the break room to when they go out at lunch, he wouldn't jam it down anybody's throat. But in kindness, he'd say, hey man, let me ask you, do you happen to have a faith? And he would tell people about the love of Jesus Christ where he worked. He was reported to HR twice over the course of 18 months. HR said to him, if you keep sharing this, we will fire you. And he said, I won't be disrespectful. I won't be rude. I will do it in kindness, but I would be ready to fire me. I will keep telling them. Here's the thing. He kept telling people. He was never a jerk. But the other thing that was true about him, he fought to do really good work. Over the course of his time, while he's been reported to HR twice, he was promoted three times. To my knowledge, he's still works there. What did he do in an environment where you're not supposed to shine bright? Am I saying that in every environment you have to just go guns blazing in, telling people to believe in Jesus Christ, forgiveness of their sins? Maybe. Absolutely maybe. Because one of the things that's true even about this is we have this Christian tendency to like come and like, and like huddle up. And I think it's well intended a lot. It's like to huddle up together and we kind of stick to ourselves and we create these pockets of Christians. The only way we fill out the command to shine brightest stars is if we're around other people that don't shine at all. Is if you get to environments where there's darkness, it's why the places that you go, God wants you to get to. I think sometimes the way we consider standing out, we set the bar too low, though. It can be good things, but we set the bar too low. Like, like a great thing that I, I talk with a lot of parents about the privilege where they just say, man, we're doing everything we can to get to three different sports teams, two different practices every night. We go to every soccer tournament, every basketball tournament, everything possible. We're there, man, and we are sitting in the stands. That's awesome. Way to go. I legitimately think that communicates value. Way to go. Don't burn yourself out. But here's the thing. Let your kids see you sitting in the stands. Let them see that. But if you really want to stand out, let them see you share your faith with a stranger at the meal you go get with with the team after the tournament. Let them see you as you go out of town to a hotel room to support them on some tournament. Wake up early to come, spend time in God's word and walk by faith. And when you sin, say, will you forgive me? Especially in the suburbs, a lot of parents go to every game. You want to stand out? You ask that parent at the game, hey man, do you have a faith? Shine bright. Like singles, I think for us, like so many times I talk with, I talk with my friends and especially with online dating now, like, like where this is, is, hey, I'm gonna do my best and I'm gonna put on like a dating profile. Bless y'all, everybody, right? Dating profile. Hey, like Christian, all that kind of stuff. Man, I'm going public. I'm getting out there. Love that. Great place. Not hating on it. Great place to start. But then here, I, I talk with more and more people where they come and they get on, let's pick any of them, right? They get on Bumble, right? There's more power for women on Bumble, right? They can go get on Bumble. All of a sudden, I don't know, maybe you swipe right, not really entirely sure, but they swipe right on somebody and then they end up in like the first dates at a bar. 
where these like church folk, Christian people trying to date differently, their plan is, hey, let's go meet. Let's have three drinks. Let's see if I can get enough, like almost like a social lubrication to feel good about myself to where we can talk and chat and then maybe boundaries are compromised at the beginning, but then we want to come back because we know if we got to make it work for them to be a potential spouse, we got to make sure they actually care about holiness. And then we come and we say things like, but man, you don't get what it's like to be lonely on Friday. Guys, I got nothing wrong with an online dating app. But man, put on that online dating app. If you're a guy, I want a woman who fears God. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is fleeting. I want a woman that will be on mission with me. Put on that dating app. I am not here to cope and feel better on a Friday night. I'm looking for a man that would help, support, care for, that I could lead alongside to be a missionary to who God has sent me. And until he or she comes, I'm not going to wait searching. I'm just going to go start serving. I'm going to get after it. Stand out. Shine bright. Here's what's amazing too. Those illustrations you could, you could use in the reality of believer, non-believer. You could also use that in the reality of striving to be fully devoted, yielded to Christ, humble, not in self-righteousness, believer, nominal, in name only. Going through this because I always have, or I'm supposed to, or I graduated college. I had my fun party boy phase. I had this phase of life where I need to make it work with my families. Christian. He wants you to stand out. He wants me to stand out. We do that by really knowing I'm a child of the King. He loves me. He saved me. And from that, I will follow. And and that's the third way that we stand out. Let's jump back in. Let's look at verse 16 here. 16. Holding fast. I love that. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be poured out. Oh, excuse me, so that in the day of Christ, read the wrong verse, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. That's why I love Paul. He then sets up another way that you stand out is you hold fast. Holding fast, it's fighting for a faithfulness in God. And he's gonna give the reason why. Because you don't wanna waste your time or the time of others. Holding fast here, like, like biblical scholars, they kind of argue over what he means exactly. Here's what I mean by that. Hold fast, it can mean to like hold on to, to cling, to take scripture, which is the word of life, to take the Bible and to believe it and to follow it and to give your whole life to it. It can mean that. Hold fast here, what it can also mean, it's to hold forth, to hold out, right? In the same way the Statue of Liberty holds that fire as a demonstration of the freedom that comes, the freedom that awaits, It's this symbolic thing of a Christian's of hold forth the word of God appealing to a crooked and twisted generation. People say the word in the Greek here for those who care, like it leans more towards holding out. But the other scholars argue, well, hey, in context, Paul's building this case for, hey guys, if you wanna do this, you gotta hold fast, which is why he's gonna talk about the day of Christ and he doesn't run in vain. Church, here's what I think it is. I think it's both. Like in your life, if you want to stand out, do you sincerely hold fast to fighting to believe, put your faith in to follow what God says? 
Like is scripture, like language we use around here, is this really your authority, your conscience, and your guide? Where when life, where there's clarity on what the Bible would say, you're firm where it's firm, even if you don't want to be. And you're flexible where it's flexible because you know you should be. Like, is this the thing that in your life that you just built this mindset, this, this lie throughout time of saying, I just don't like reading, I just can't connect? Or is it really one of those where you want to fight to hold fast, to cling to, to get to know a God in heaven who loves you? We'll always help you do that here. Always. He's pleading for us to hold fast. And then he gives two reference points. For in the day of Christ, it's the reality that one day Jesus Christ is coming back. When Jesus Christ comes back, you know what I will never regret not doing more of? Binging more shows on Netflix, right? I will never regret moments where in nervousness or in insecurity, I didn't lean out and share my faith. I will never regret more of the moments where I did not fight to schedule time to actually think and pray for how to love my wife. Not just show up and try to wing it but to plan it and pursue her the way God intended. Like the day that I see Jesus, it'll be freedom, it'll be grace. Like, man, it's gonna be real love. It's gonna be glorious, absolutely glorious because of him. But I will have wished I'd done more. I'd been more faithful, more gracious, more humble, more generous, more sacrificial, more content. You know how discontent I can be? This past week, my wife got sick. She's 22 weeks pregnant. Because of that, I didn't go to work for three days. I had to come home, care for her, care for the house, care for our two-and-a-half-year-old. Like 36 hours in, I'm texting out to my community group saying, guys, I need you to pray for me because I have a terrible attitude because I'm entitled and I wish I could just be at work and finish this so I wouldn't have to cram it in and over the weekend. I'm resenting my wife, and it's showing up in how I care for my kid. She was sick. Hold fast. Hold fast. You cling. You fight for this. You make it real. And if it's not, the first thing you do is own it by saying, I mean, I know I'm supposed to care, but I don't. Y'all, that is one of the most faithful statements many people make. We hold fast. And then Paul, he gives this amazing thing there where he says, why? so that I feel like I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul was this pastor who almost cared for this church there, like a father to a child. And he's saying to them, I'm pleading with you to hold fast. I'm pleading with you to take this seriously. Because if you don't, this is all vanity. This is all foolishness. This is all meaningless. It's been ineffective in Paul. He's saying, I should have put my time elsewhere. Like church, if we just come and we gather here on Sundays and we check a box and we listen to songs and we try to do our best to just push through, but we are just going through the motions, we are not running, we are not laboring, and it is in vain. Like what this is meant to be is a group of people who don't gather to be entertained, but who are reminded that you are sent by God to be missionaries to the schools, to the job, to the street that you live on, to tell people about the goodness of Jesus Christ, to sincerely appeal to where we live in this realization. You have one predominant purpose, to know God, to help others know him all for his glory. 
As you do that, guess what happens? You'll care for your spouse. As you do that, guess what happens? You'll care for your family. As you do that, guess what happens? You will protect purity in a way you never did. As you do that, what happens? You will fight a crippling insecurity. That is the church. That is what the people of God are meant to be. Those who hold fast. One of the things I love is in community groups, because we do a lot of that here at the Springs. Like when community groups come, and not in self-righteousness, but they honestly have conversations with other people. And they just say, hey, man, it's not that you're moving at a slower pace than the rest of us. It just seems like you don't care. Like you're just going through the motions because you think you're supposed to. And then they do two things. They appeal to them on the basis of God's word with real love. Hey, here's why. Come. We will help. Here's how we will get more involved. We care more about you. We want to do everything. We're not looking down on you. We want to run with you. Where they appeal with them to come, hold fast. We will help you. What's holding you back? What's hurting you? What's crippling you? They get more involved in the person's life. But then a second thing, if that's not what you want, okay. But then can you please stop coming every week to this meeting? We think we're confusing you by allowing it. It's really hard for us because every time we're all wishing you would join, but we know that you resent it. And we think we're confusing other people when they come and they hear about this group meeting and the people who know you, they're like, wait, what? You think Paul would have done that? Yes. You don't look down on anyone. You appeal to everyone. But church, we are not here for entertainment. We are here to hold fast. Why? It really does matter that we stand out. It really does matter that we look different. What did we look at today? We look at Philippians chapter two, verses 14 through 16, where we saw this predominant theme. Man, we are meant to shine bright as stars in the midst of a crooked in a twisted generation, that we are meant to stand out. Never in self-righteous, never in look at us, we're so much better, or never in look at me, I know God, never in any of that, but always in, man, I was once foolish, disobedient, and led astray. I was a slave to passions and pleasures. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared, he saved me. I have nothing fancy to give you but I can, I can share with you the thing that changed everything. We stand out. We fight not to complain. No matter the situation, we fight to come and say, God's sovereign over all of it. I trust him in it. He's gonna use this even when I don't get it. We fight to not complain. We do fight to shine bright. Shine bright in your own individual life. Shine bright in your marriage. Shine bright with your kids. Shine bright with your community group. Shine bright in where you work. Shine bright with your friends and who you hang out with. Why? God wants to use you to impact and change them. Final thing we do is we hold fast. We realize, man, we both hold forth the word of God and we cling to it ourselves. We fight to know this, to follow us, to make this true in our life imperfectly but in pursuit of a perfect God we hold fast here's what God wants it's a world marked by darkness 
He wants you and me, imperfectly as we are, broken, insecure, all your problems, your fears, your worries, your doubts. He wants all of that. And he wants us to come and simply demonstrate, no, there's a light. There's a light. There's a chance to meet God through you and through me. We must stand out. Let me pray that we do that. We'll get out of here. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. Just for what you say, even as we fight for all this in the midst of a, 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 a Sunday morning where it's difficult with blackouts and AC and we do all of that, God, we're pleading that we come and we would stand out, not in self-righteousness, but in real, sincere righteousness where we would fight against my natural tendency to complain, right? Where we, we would fight against this mindset of, hey, maybe we just blend in. I'm so tired, but we would stand out. And we do that, God, by just holding fast to your word the truth that you sent Jesus Christ to save us, but the truth that sets us free consistently as we grow to know you. I'm asking you do that here. I'm asking you do that in the families. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Man, y'all, hey, thank y'all for coming, hanging out with us on a bit of a different Sunday, but man, y'all go. I hope restaurants aren't still in blackout. Y'all go eat a great meal. We'll see y'all next week. Have a great week of worship.